3: Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision?
2: Hello, welcome
1: back to the show. My name is
2: Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Deckett. Most importantly, you are you, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Have you guys ever been to the Grand Canyon?
1: Yes. I feel like that was right at the same time. It
2: was, but
0: it wasn't a jinx because we didn't say the same thing.
1: You're right. You're you're so right. Yes, I have been there. Uh Have you been there, Ben?
2: Yes, yeah.
1: Excellent. Uh, What did you do on your travels? yeah me too um (laughs) (laughs) that was not a yes and Uh, yeah we just went over this
2: yes we did yes and i will uh i will play these reindeer games uh traveled there on a family road trip as a lot of people do in the united states uh was completely amazed and beflummoxed by the sheer scale of the thing and uh you know, when we fly out west in the course of our job, which happens a couple, you know, it, it happens on a not uncommon basis, then we usually fly mm. over the Grand Canyon, and on a good day, you can see it.
1: Yeah, and from up there, it looks amazing. It looks like kind of the photographs, like a little miniature version of it, and you it's hard to understand truly how vast this area is.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, did you go on a family trip as a child?
1: Uh, no, I went with some friends, and we had a wonderful time. Did you trip acid? I did not, though, um, I probably wouldn't do that anyway. Did you ride a burro? I did not. I literally stood at the precipice on one of the rims and just looked out for about an hour.
2: Probably South Rim, right? Yeah,
1: it was, South Rim is the, easy, the easiest to access.
2: Just a
0: little bookkeeping. We do have another guest on today's show and it is called Construction Noise. Yes. Uh, so if you hear that occasionally, we're not going to just, we're not going to pause the recording. We're going to barrel right through, but just,
2: FYI.: We want you to know that you're not crazy, and we hear it too. Yes. <laughs> uh, which I think is an important thing that people should say more often when there's a weird noise around. So Matt, when you took this trip with your friends, it, first off, it does sound way cooler, no offense to family, but I think a friend road trip is probably just, on average, more fun than a family road trip. They were essentially my family too. No, oh, oh man. It's true. And I believe you, you know? I believe you. And and you and your friends had the right idea. In fact, every year, more than 4 million people visit the Grand Canyon National Park
0: mm-hmm. system. Just not me.
2: Not yet. But hey, we'll get there, man. You want to yeah. go to the Grand Canyon? Maybe. You want to do like a friend trip to the Grand Canyon? I'd be down. We are could, are we you in? Uh, uh,
0: yeah, we can do a space camp. As long as we can ride a donkey. Yeah. <laughs> that we, is a thing. I'm not making that up. I'm not making a true. Jerk.
2: But you have to book it way in advance. Yeah. Well, no time like the present, my friends. <laughs> So where did this canyon come from? Let's let's talk about what it is today. Most people living in the US have a have a pretty solid idea of what the Grand Canyon is. It exists in so much folklore, so many tropes. It's referenced all the time and physically it's huge. It's kind of tough to miss. It's in the northwest corner of Arizona and it's near the borders of Utah and Nevada. It's managed by the National Park Service and uh, several tribal organizations who have an historic claim to the land. It's divided into the North Rim and the South Rim. When we go on a road trip there, we'll probably go to the South Rim because it's open all year, and about 90% of the park's visitors go there. The North Rim is apparently spectacular. It's closer to Utah, but it's much less accessible.
1: Yeah, that's uh, one of the craziest things about this. It, It takes roughly five hours to drive the 215 miles or, excuse me, uh, 346 kilometers between the, the South Rim where the village is there to get to the North Rim. It takes that long, five hours. And if you think, if you look at it on a map, it does not seem like it should take that long.
2: <laughs> and you have to be very careful when you travel to the North Rim because it closes during winter.
1: Yes, yes, it's very true.
2: So how did this, how did this thing get here? It's been around a while, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the general
0: consensus uh, from the scientific community is that the Grand Canyon was formed by the constant erosion of the Colorado River. And that started somewhere between five to six
2: million years ago. Way, way, way back. It's a golden oldie. Deep cut. (laughs) Yeah. I guess the Grand Canyon is literally a deep cut. Oh, well, you win this round, Ben Bolin. <laughs> I didn't know we were. I didn't know we were playing. I feel like we all lost for letting that <laughs> joke pass. No <laughs> but worries. not
0: the war. Recent research may upend the notion of the canyon forming all uh, in one go and at the same pace. That makes sense, right? Uh, over the same span of time. In fact, uh, the Grand Canyon might have been the result of two separate canyons converging.
2: Hmm. That's interesting. That makes sense because of the way erosion works, right? So if there were two canyons that just eroded continually they they sort of grew into each other yeah i mean that that sounds like uh that doesn't sound crazy not at all no and it's like two
0: slightly less grand canyons uh you know kind of joining their forces and forming a, a much grander canyon
1: that's correct so let's let's hit some numbers really fast just to get this whole scale thing under uh under a microscope.
0: Lay
2: it out.
1: <laughs> Even though you couldn't ever fit any of this under a microscope. It would
2: have to be a very big microscope.
0: A massive
1: one.
2: A
0: macroscope, if
1: you yep, will. a macroscope. The Grand Canyon is 277 miles long. 277 miles long. And it's up to 18 miles wide at any point, at uh, several of the points. It's the largest. And it's more than a mile deep. If you're talking about the surface level at the top all the way down, that's a mile. That is um hard for me to fathom. It's and again, we're talking about erosion here. Just over time 5-6 million years just all that water, all of the weather, the sand, everything, the rocks just getting weathered down and weathered down and weathered down and weathered down till you're a mile deep. Mhm. And
2: what type of rock are we talking here?
0: Well, there's a couple of different kinds. We've got sandstone, We've got an old favorite, shale, Mm -mm. one of my personal favorites, limestone.
2: Yeah, yeah, all the good ones, all the hits. Mm -hmm. That's an always sunny in Philadelphia reference uh, that I probably shouldn't explain on a family show. And we owe the – if we were to write a thank you card to something responsible for the Grand Canyon, we would probably send that card to the Colorado River, right, which has worn this down. It's – 1,450 miles long, and I'm sorry Matt, I didn't check the kilometers on that one. Uh, and it goes through seven US states, two Mexican states. That's the lay of the land. This, this very long river, this huge canyon that's a mile deep. Did we, did we already mention how many acres it covers total?
1: No, we did not. Let's, let's just do the number. 1,218,375 roughly acres.
0: Well, Matt, that's the finest number reading I've heard in my days.
1: That's a huge number, that number of acres. If you think about, you know, if you're going to buy a house anywhere near a city, you're going to get about 0.25 to one acre. I mean, one acre is a lot. Possibly (laughs) a mule.
2: Do you want to buy the whole canyon, Matt?
1: No, I'm just saying, if you imagine that amount of space and then multiply it by that number – Holy mackerel.
2: And people, it turns out, have been living in the area for quite a long time. As we record this in 2017, current archaeological evidence suggests that humans were in the Grand Canyon as far as 4,000 years ago in a, in like a permanent residential kind of situation. But before then, at least 6,500 years ago, they were visiting the mm. Grand Canyon.
1: Checking it out, going, whoa!
2: I mean,
0: It sticks out. Yeah. It's a remarkable (laughs)
2: thing. Can you imagine just
0: happening upon that and and just like your, you know, a daily walk?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I wonder, too, if when people were doing that, if the weather would change, you know, if you're walking from a a, a long distance. Oh,
0: man. I bet you're right because it's so massive that it could even have impacts on like air pressure and all kinds of different variables that could be perceptible.
1: Especially thinking about the flat, arid land that you'd be walking to to journey upon it and just go, oh, uh, what happened here? You know, some being, God, whatever, what mm-hmm. have you, created this. Um, cool. We should at least set something up here.
2: And who was the first person to get to the bottom and then back up without dying? I feel like there were probably a couple people who got to the bottom and didn't make it back.
1: Yeah. You're like, this was a really bad
2: idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we're going to start a village down here now. And today, this... Uh, Era, this group uh, of human inhabitants is referred to as the ancestral Pueblo of the Basketmaker III era. In archaeology, you'll often hear them referred to as the Anasazi, although the modern Puebloan people do not uh, – they, they don't really truck with this name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because the word Anasazi is Navajo for either ancient ones or ancient enemies – And today people are still trying to figure out exactly when this distinct culture emerged. But the point is that there have been cultures there. For a very long time, evidence suggests that these inner canyon dwellers were part of desert culture, a group of semi-nomadic hunter-gatherer Native Americans. They inhabited the rim and the inner canyon. They survived by hunting and gathering along with a little bit of agriculture, but not a, not a huge amount. And as you can probably tell by the name, they were noted for their basket making skills.
1: Yeah, they lived in these little small communal bands inside caves, which makes a lot of sense if you think about the structures around there, what would give you shelter. And uh, they made these uh, circular mud structures that they called pit houses or are now referred to as pit houses. And then through further refinement of agriculture and uh, some technology as it's being developed, it led to a more sedentary, more stable lifestyle for the ancestral pueblos starting around 500 CE. So that's when things start to change a little bit from that hunter gatherer into uh, not close not uh, what we would imagine as being uh, a sedentary life but getting closer to that. And there's this other group uh called the uh, what is it the Coho Cohonia Cohonina. Cohonina. Uh they lived west of the current side of the Grand Canyon village that part of the south rim. If you're imagining you're looking at a map, mm-hmm. uh and they lived there around the same time uh that these uh ancient Pueblo people were living.
0: And, you know, we know civilizations rise, but civilizations, they also do tend to fall, especially ancient ones. And archaeological sites show that the ancestral Pueblo and the Cojonina flourished only until about 1200 C.E., and that's because something likely happened 100 years later that forced both of these cultures to skedaddle. Uh, several lines of evidence led to a theory that climate change oh, – what's that? – caused a, a severe drought in the region from 1276 to 1299, and that forced these agrarian people – Cultures to move on to greener pastures. Yeah, we can't
1: get any crops to grow here. Our animals don't have enough food. Let's and, get out.
2: Yeah, and we should point out, you know, a lot of this is about the timing of their move into an increasingly agriculture-focused society. Mm-hmm. That's that's typically what we see happening in cultures around the world. Right? You go hunter-gatherer. You grow some crops, domesticate some animals, etc. There's a curious. Gap here in the record because it turns out that as Noel pointed out, this drought occurred and people skedaddled. And this is droughts are one of the reasons, uh, one of the common reasons behind a lot of civilizations in decline, like Angkor Wat suffered from a drought, which mm-hmm. led to, you know, the loss of the city's population. And in the case of the Grand Canyon, what we find is that for about a 100 years after people left because of this drought. Just no one lived there. Yeah, And we have to wonder why. Were people just telling their kids, ah, that place sucks. It's for the birds. Well, it could have been
1: thought maybe there was some kind of curse or, you know, something that was occurring there that was unnatural. The soil is sour. It's possible. I mean, you can imagine that uh, being a word-of-mouth tale.
2: Sure. So for thousands of years, other than this one, this gap for about a century, there's been a continual inhabitants, right? Can there's, there's always been some sort of human population there, primarily Native Americans who built settlements within the canyon and, as Matt pointed out, its many caves. The Pueblo people consider the Grand Canyon a holy site. They made pilgrimages to it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at some point, a European, quote-unquote, discovers it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the first European known to have even viewed uh, set eyes on the Grand Canyon was Garcia Lopez de Cardenas from Spain, and he arrived there in 1540. So he was a little late to the party, but uh, when he discovered As it, Europeans but, tend <laughs> to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But
1: you know, hey, he he found it and put it on a map somewhere.
2: Good guy. And fast forward to the present. That's a quick and dirty look at the past of the Grand Canyon. But there's still mysteries in the present day. As we've covered in earlier episodes, people disappear in public parks way more often than you might think. And yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but I was stunned to discover that there is no federal database tracking these people.
1: Yeah, it seems like there probably should be. Even if it was, even if it was just shorthand somewhere or a single Google doc, that would be, uh, that would make a lot of sense, but no.
2: And people forget the United States is very much a wilderness. Uh We have these vast swaths of unoccupied land, right? No roads, no cities, no cell phones, etc. We do have wilderness here.
0: And thankfully, a lot of it is protected. Otherwise, you know, commerce would probably find a way to swoop in and bulldoze a whole lot of it. Yeah, but it's the wilderness, dude. Anything could be out there. It's true. But, I mean, you know, it can be tamed by
2: combines. <laughs> oh, geez. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or another thing that has absolutely nothing to do with this episode but I, I think is interesting is uh, the habit that a lot of companies have of buying access – or buying land that has a water source on it and then taking that water – and making bottled water. Yeah. Like, uh, Nestle? Yes, exactly like Nestle. It sounds like some evil Dr. Soda scheme to me. Yeah, totally is. Mm-hmm. And the Grand Canyon is no different from a lot of these other wild areas. There are challenging trails, you know. Um, Noel is not joking about the burrow. It's a real thing. Uh, there's tremendous isolation in parts of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine, some for some reason, being stuck at the North Rim in winter? Well, it's not just a
0: burrow, right? It comes with a guide. <laughs> Yes, right? like, guy. Like someone who's really knows the lay of the land and will, you know, guide you on this uh this donkey ride down these steep passes and and hopefully, you know, get you there alive. You are excited about this, huh? Well, I'm into it, man. I want to book. Yeah. Let's book. Okay, let's go.
1: So you're talking about these these mile long or mile depth. Mm -hmm. areas, which, you know, are really scary, like you're talking about. You've also got the Colorado River, which is just rapidly flowing down below you in most of the places where you're going to
2: be visiting and climbing. Absolutely, And we also know that these – there are going to be disappearances, injuries, and deaths due to natural causes, right? Mm -hmm. But there are some things that are a little more sinister, and we have to admit that, yes, over time several people have likely been murdered in the canyon. Some might remain undiscovered today. It's just gigantic. It's it's worse than a needle in a haystack situation, especially before the invention of GPS.
1: Yeah, if you think about the number of people over time that will visit any certain point in the Grand Canyon that isn't some of the most trafficked, your your numbers are going to be really small.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, think of all the 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 neat tuck away kind of spots on the way down too. Mm -hmm. there's probably little caves and areas that would be harder to get to and if you had a really good sense of all this stuff you could probably hide a body pretty easily Uh,
2: that's a really good point You're right, we should go. Oh, God. In 1928, we have an example. Sorry, we have an example. In 1928, these Idaho farmers named Glenn Hyde and Bessie Hyde traveled 600 miles along the Green and Colorado Rivers in this huge wooden boat, a a sweep scow. The boat was found intact. They found the couple's uh, food, their diary, their guidebook, clothing, their gun, and it was 46 miles from the mouth of the Grand Canyon, but... The honeymooners – oh, yeah, I should mention they were on their yeah. honeymoon – uh, were never found. And ever since, Glenn and Bessie Hyde have been the focus of campfire stories and at least four maybe Glenns and Bessies appeared or were cited in later years and there were these legends of this miraculous escape. But that's just one example. That's just yeah. one example of something that still remains officially unsolved. And if
1: you uh, look, by the way, I just want to say, if you look at the Sweepscow boat, it looks like something that should not be going down rapids in a river. Really? Uh, it looks like this wooden, I mean, large, like the shape of a boat, a big boat with uh-huh. a with two humans on it that uh, look way too small compared to the boat to be going down a river like that with rocks, like giant huge boulders just kind of sitting there in outcroppings.
0: Well, it sounds like Glenn and Bessie
2: Hyde may have signed up for more than they were ready for.
1: Well, they had
0: they had done it before
1: apparently, like they were pretty,
2: uh, seasoned. Right, they had, I think they had, uh, done some rafting in Wyoming.
1: Yeah, they've done things very similar, so I think they expected it to be okay. Cause
2: there's
0: no, like, bunny trail in the, in the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's, like you said, one side is a little easier to access than the other, but overall, it is, uh, some pretty punishing terrain.
2: Yeah, true. And you're probably asking us and maybe yourself, you know, Matt, Noel, Super producer Paul, Ben, this is interesting, but why are you telling us about the Grand Canyon? That This is all the setup. Yeah. All we've been doing now is setting up the actual episode because today's twist, you see, it's not about a normal disappearance of a couple, tragic as it may be, nor is it about the disappearance of individuals. Today's story instead is about the disappearance of civilization. And today's question is, Is there a lost civilization in the Grand Canyon?
1: And we'll dive right into that
0: after a quick word from our sponsor.
1: Terminix it.
2: Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
1: That's T E R M I N I X.com to book online today.
2: Here's where it gets crazy.
1: What if there really was some other unknown. To uh, to modern history, unknown to you and I listening to this right now, some ancient civilization that called the Grand Canyon home, that was there way before any of the proven civilizations that we've discussed, the ancient pueblos. What if it's been there all along, someone just had
2: to discover it? Yes, what if?
0: <laughs> and not, not just some kind of like city of... Ghost city of dead hikers, but like ancient forces, right? Like, uh, what has it been? The Hopi, uh, the Keeper of Death.
2: Yes, yes, the Keeper of Death is said to reside in the Grand Canyon. Have not independently All you got to do is slip on a rock, and you will meet him. Uh, oh yeah, in, he's, in a hurry, the Hopi Keeper of Death is waiting for you. Mm-hmm. They just don't put it in a lot of the brochures, but yeah. they're out there, and. According to newspapers, the Hopi believed there was an earlier iteration of civilization in the canyon. They believed that their ancestors once lived in an underworld until dissension arose between the good people and the bad people, uh, which they had described as the people of one heart and the people of two hearts. And this conflict led them to leave this underground paradise. And uh, the
1: just this legend is really cool to look into. It gets complicated quickly uh with the different types of people how they're described um, and you'll see people that we'll talk about a little later like uh David Icke who um, are ascribing things maybe a little differently to them than uh than I would ascribe to what I have read but you get into thoughts of lizard people here you get into images of other otherworldly humanoids
2: right right whether they are purported to be purely folklore, whether they are purported to be, you know, ancient extraterrestrials or some sort of parallel sapient species Mm -hmm. that existed along with Homo sapiens.
0: I love this, though, this kind of mythology of the Grand Canyon being almost like a gate to the underworld or Mm. a passage into the afterlife. That is that is cool.
1: Yeah, man, I keep harping on this, but it's a mile down and that is deep. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting close.
2: So nowadays, although we have a wealth of facts and information about the Grand Canyon, we don't have the same sense of it that people had back in the day. Like in the 18th and 19th century, the Grand Canyon was this fascinating, mysterious, and very dangerous thing. U.S. residents were stunned by the formation, and to be honest with you, a lot of readers— Especially in the early 1900s would have believed any number of strange things about it. They're probably not gonna go, right? They probably only have a few newspapers that they read, mm-hmm. right? And they, their chances of meeting someone who traveled there are much lower than our chances of meeting a Grand Canyon visitor would be today.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the, the thing that Ben talks about a lot on this show where the cost of communication back in the day as well as the cost of transportation, when you add those two things together and you're talking about the early 20th century, it's exactly. – I'm just mean to reiterate it. You're not going
0: to get to the Grand Canyon unless you have the means. Yeah, now it's like the internet has democratized like information in such a way that like everybody knows everything. Mm-hmm. Not not everything, but like they have access to it if they so choose to seek out said information.
2: Absolutely Pandora's jar is open, right? <laughs> for better or for worse. So, we we looked into this because we had, we had received uh, several emails and correspondencies. Do I say correspondencies? I think so. Yeah? yeah. Cool. Well, we're going with it. <laughs> um, we received uh, several messages uh, from you and your fellow listeners who asked us to look into the stories of a lost civilization in the Grand Canyon. And one thing that was profound to us is – we deal with a lot of hoaxes, just in the nature of our research, and we we like to think we have an okay nose for determining what's fake or determining what's real. um Noel and Matt are both audio and video experts, so they are able to they're able to look at a picture and say whether it's a it's a fuzzy light or if it's actually something spooky. Able to analyze audio. People back then didn't have that benefit. But w- I was totally not expecting to find real newspaper articles. That's what I should say. You know what? Yeah. I should say <laughs> it at the top. I thought I was going to find a bunch of fake stuff. That, yeah. and by fake, I mean like something someone made in 2013 that they uh, – To look that,
0: like it was made in that time? Oh, not like the fake news of today.
2: I guess kind of like that, yeah. But like about – the Grand Canyon. <laughs> it required a lot more effort to do it back then though. <laughs> well you yeah, had to, You
0: had to really like go through with your paste and you had to cut out stuff yeah. and, and do a real good job. Well, Today it, people could just write bull crap on the internet.
1: It's, it's true. And in this instance, it was an actual newspaper, the yeah. Arizona Gazette, mm-hmm. and it published an actual a story that ran in the paper it was it was published, it was printed, it was sent out
2: to readers. It was a series of stories. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. On March twelfth of nineteen oh nine, the Arizona Gazette reported that an explorer by the name of G. E. Kincaid. Please uh, keep that in your mind because mm-hmm. we'll get back to G. E. They said that he was traveling alone along the Colorado River and he had discovered profound, previously unknown architecture and artifacts inside a vast series of caverns within the Grand Canyon.
0: So wait, this is in the early 1900s. Yeah. 1909. So, unlike, I mean, Indian, Native American artifacts were very much a known quantity. Right, yeah. So unknown, like, what are we talking about?
2: Right. He uh, would, the implication in the story is that they were clearly not from any known Native American source. Interesting.
1: Yeah, we're going to get into uh, a lot of that stuff. But the big question mm. that I had immediately upon reading this is, alright, who is this Mr. Kincaid?
0: This G.E. Kincaid fellow.
2: <laughs> I'm glad you asked because we know very, very little about him other than that he came from Lewiston, Idaho, and according to the Arizona Gazette, he had worked as a scout for the Smithsonian for over 30 years. Oh, that's okay. All right. He was also – when you read newspapers from this time, mm-hmm. the things they choose as descriptors and the, the way that they prioritize information just seems really weird. One of the few facts we know is that the Arizona Gazette said uh, G.E. Kincaid is, in addition to being a scout for the Smithsonian, the first white child born in Idaho.
1: Um. I just have to say that is the first thing that they say about G.E. Kincaid in the article. That's how they introduce him. G.E. Kincaid, the first white child born in Idaho. The first white child That's born w- in Idaho? That is what is printed on the page. You know, it, so they, Idaho
0: seems like one of the whitest places in America to me. Is that <laughs> today. wrong? Today, I get wow. Who knew?
1: But I guess, you know, you're talking about Western expansion and all that stuff. That's so, you know.
0: Well, I guess it's his fault.
2: Yeah, also 1909. Yeah, I know. <laughs> really? It just seems like, uh. That's it, so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird way to describe someone. Yeah. You know? So, additionally, he had spent time traveling down the Green River and he was noted as carrying a camera. Unspecified type mm-hmm. of camera, but some sort of camera and the initial article in the Gazette prompted a series of expeditions by people who were seeking the answers for themselves, as well as wealth and buried treasure. So if you're a scout
0: for the Smithsonian, you're not even like the ones actually taking the pictures they're going to publish. You're just going out there and identifying spots for the real photographers to come back out there knowing that it's safe and then take the real pictures, right?
2: I bet you're right. Yeah.
0: yeah, Maybe he was expendable. That's why they sent him down the Colorado River. They literally sold him down the river. He was a red shirt.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Wow. So there's a lot that we haven't unpacked about this yet. And it it's pretty crazy. It's, we're gonna get into stuff you were asking about, Noel. Um, the first thing we have to really think about here is tracking these sources. Like, where, where are we getting the information? Where's the Gazette getting its information and, you know, the Gazette itself?
2: Yeah. So, according to the Gazette, which again, a real newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, the exploration was being directed by the Smithsonian, specifically by an anthropologist there named S.A. Jordan, professor S.A. Jordan, and apparently Kincaid was well-known in these circles. They paint him as sort of an Indiana Jones type. Very much so. And in the article, Kincaid talks a little bit about the location of the cavern system.
1: Yes, he said it was in the Marble Canyon region. Uh, you can look that up if you'd like to. But uh, we I'm just going to read a passage from the article here. Uh, the cavern was described as being, quote, nearly a mile underground. Okay, that kind of checks out. About 1,480 feet below the surface, the main uh, passage had been delved into to find a mammoth chamber from which radiate scores of passageways like the spokes of a wheel several hundred rooms have been discovered reached by passageways running from the main passage one of them having been explored for 854 feet and another for 634 feet
0: this is amazing how would you have accessed this like from the from the grand from the canyon cuz that's all open to the sky, So for it to be underground, does that mean you would have to go into like a cave and then go down through a passage? And so then- yeah,
1: here's, here's my issue with this whole thing. So the entrance is about uh, 1,480 feet below the surface. So we have to imagine the surface would be top of the Grand Canyon, right? And then go down that much. Then you get to the entrance and then nearly a mile underground from there – I, I don't know. Perhaps these two things are being described as the
0: same. I got you. Um, not. I'm just sure. trying to picture. This is amazing, though. And uh, go on. What 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 did he
2: find? Yeah. What's in there?
1: Uh. Well, they found numerous artifacts from some ancient, unknown civilization.
2: Articles which have never been known as native to this country, and doubtless they had their origin in the Orient. War weapons, copper instruments, sharp-edged and hard as steel, indicate the high state of civilization reached by these strange people. There people.
1: Was... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. There was also this uh, Buddha-like, I would describe it as, Buddha-like statue which uh, sits with its legs crossed.
0: Mm-hmm like in a uh, almost like a meditative meditative pose yeah
2: uh-huh. with a lotus flower or a lily in each hand and that that description is very um that description is meant to further their argument that these seem to be somehow asiatic in extraction yeah
1: well it even is quoted as saying quote the cast of the face is oriental unquote but what the devil were they doing
0: here in the canyon I don't know.
1: Uh, they were, according to the article, um, <laughs> the scientists are not certain as to what religious worship it represents. It is possible that this worship most resembles the ancient people of Tibet. Tibet. It sounds very Tibetan, doesn't it? Among the other, other finds are v- vases or urns and cups of copper and gold made very
2: artistic in design. And we know that... Uh... Using the term "oriental" is incredibly racist. Yes, Absolutely. that's why.
1: That's uh, just kind of yeah. lopping it in with the whole white child thing.
0: But the steel weapons, the the lotus flower uh, right. holding, you know, Buddha figure. Th- this all really does sound like stuff that would have been around, you know, in uh, in Asian cultures. Well, sure. Yeah, and it yeah.
1: sounds amazing, and it, you can imagine why this article being printed caused so many people to want to get out there. Mm. And like, find that stuff. Oh man, I'm gonna be rich.
2: And that's the, that's the big question. Why was this so important? What happened next? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor.
1: Terminix it.
2: Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today.
1: That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. So,
2: hope everybody had a good break. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, We're going to look at why this was so crucial and so important, why it made such a splash. And probably one of the best ways to do that is with an excerpt from the Gazette directly.
0: Discoveries which almost conclusively prove that the race which inhabited this mysterious cavern, hewn in solid rock by human hands, was of oriental origin. Ooh, Cringe. Possibly from Egypt, tracing back to Ramses, if their theories are born of by the translation of the tablets engraved with hieroglyphics, the mystery of the prehistoric peoples of North America, their ancient arts, who they were and whence they came will be solved. Egypt and the Nile and Arizona and the Colorado will be linked by a historical chain running back to ages which staggers the wildest fancy of the fictionist. Wow!
2: Well done, and I love the idea of using fictionist as a Fictionist. An insult. You, sir, are a
0: fictionist. <laughs>
2: Let's do that. Can we make that happen on this show?
0: Yeah, and then we we, we slap them with a glove. Yes, yes, and bite
2: our thumbs. All right, we have to get gloves. Paul are you in? Yes. Okay. He's not a hundred percent, but he's gonna he's gonna go along with the He gave us a gloved thumb up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, so this this excerpt shows something that we have seen before in different cultures. you know, when European uh, explorers found ancient African cities. If, you know, they they tried to write it with their preconceived ideology, their framework through which they saw the world, which unfortunately usually meant them going, ah, yes, there's evidence of white people. (laughs) But they called it civilization as a euphemism. But let's be clear. That's what they meant. Mm -hmm. They meant like something that was closer to what they thought of as society, which was European and you can read a lot of criticism for stuff like ancient alien theory that we've talked about before and, and stuff like claiming to find a lost civilization. And one of the big tentpoles of this sort of criticism is saying that the people who believe that or argue it, despite the evidence, are actually – unconsciously or consciously, they're devaluing – The work and the existence of the people who were really there. So we can't, we can't read this and not recognize that on some level, the implication here is like Native Americans are not as good as, you know, us, the first white child in Idaho.
0: (laughs) Speaking of the first white child in Idaho, though, (laughs) this story has sort of a spooky stories to tell in the dark-esque kind of twist. It's either that or it just means the whole thing was was a hoax. Mm -hmm. But whatever the case may be, the Smithsonian have no record of either G.E. Kincaid or his supposed
2: supervisor, the professor, S.A. Jordan. Gasp.
1: Yeah.
2: There's so, no record. So that could mean a couple of things.
1: Yeah. Either it really is an Indiana Jones style explorer, and maybe uh maybe S.A. Jordan's his pops. We just don't know that. Maybe that's his dad. Like and, Sean Connery yeah, style. Yeah, yeah. He was uh kidnapped. We didn't and, the uh, dog Indiana. <laughs> no, but 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 really. Um if we look into it, the Smithsonian spokespeople um have asserted that, quote, no Egyptian artifacts of any kind have ever been found in North or South America. Therefore, I can tell you that the Smithsonian Institute has never been involved in any such excavations.
0: Okay. So, so our primary source here is still just this Gazette article, this Arizona Gazette article. That identifies these people uh, with their uh, as having an affiliation with the
2: Smithsonian, right? And the later series of articles they published, because G.E. Kincaid, for a guy who doesn't exist, went on a couple of adventures. He's oh, been yeah. around,
0: but I mean, we know, you know, journalists get stuff wrong. But that's that's a that's a doozy to get that kind of that level of attribution completely wrong, don't you think? Yeah.
1: yeah. So just to go back, either they did get some attribution wrong, or this these two guys got wiped out of the record for some
0: reason. Or they didn't exist. Maybe it was a back to the future type scenario where they were sort of ghosted out of existence by their actions in the ghost
2: tunnels. We do know that we, – we've run into this in the past. Uh, we do know that there have been multiple beliefs or theories that paint the Smithsonian institution as villainous. Oh, and yeah. Like they're stealing ancient or irregular skeletons and hoarding them for some reason
1: and then denying their existence and then just not
2: telling anyone. That's interesting. Other, lots
1: of other ancient, uh, human artifacts that are allegedly being, you know,
0: kept. Yeah. And to be like, kind of like the first game in town, as far as like cataloging and getting all of this very uh, priceless stuff, you, you know, some corners got cut and some people probably did some things they weren't proud of. I
1: don't know. I would never accuse the Smithsonian of doing anything like that. Don't
2: come and get me, please. At least for this episode. Yeah. Man, I hope – you know what? If someone from the Smithsonian is listening and there is any sand to that, yes, please come at me. I want that to be true. I don't think it is. (laughs) I just personally – I – I have a really tough time believing that the Smithsonian is up to something villainous but I do completely agree with Knoll's point mm-hmm. that in the past they probably did some stuff. That's all I meant. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the Smithsonian is a is a has a storied history and and the stuff that they have uh, that that they have preserved it's around and you can see in their many museums mm-hmm. and publications it's all priceless to, you know, human culture and civilization and the preservation of all that stuff but you know it's the Wild West, man, when you're, like, uh, going on these expeditions and sending out scouts and all that stuff. Who who knows what, what, what goes down in the wilderness?
2: And they hadn't dealt with the ethics of taking things from yes. other cultures, right? And that's still sort of a problem, but we – that's still a huge problem. Yeah. That's sort of a yeah. problem. Uh, but we do know that the Smithsonian has done amazing work preserving culture as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I'm being completely facetious about – saying the Smithsonian's going to come get me.
2: No one
0: ever um, expects the Smithsonian. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's very true. But let's get back to the article itself and just discuss if you're going to post something in an Arizona Gazette, you're going to publish a story. Sure. Um, as a reader reading that, um, you're not exactly going to have the time or perhaps the money, as we spoke before Um To go and independently verify what's being said in this story, to fact check it.
0: Not like today.
1: (laughs) Especially in 19 – yeah, in 1909, come on. Um, You know, think about how inconvenient that would be for you if you're just – a Matt Frederick reading the Arizona Gazette just opening up on a Sunday morning and going, oh, well, look at this. Incredible.
2: You'd most likely write a letter to the editor if you wrote to anyone. Yeah. So we can imagine the Gazette received a ton of inquiries about this information, but we have to ask ourselves what happened? Yeah. Right? If uh, If the Grand Canyon is such a popular site now, as we said at the top of the show, over 4 million visitors a year, and if it's been extensively covered by uh, surveillance, right, in terms of scouts going out physically, park rangers, GPS, satellite imagery, if there's something there, how is it still hidden? Is this hidden history or a hopeless hoax? It's a very alliterative mm. day.
0: <laughs> well, the host of uh, Skeptoid, which is a great podcast, uh, Brian Dunning, summed it up as such. Quote, These stories were not just isolated pranks or whimsies in regional newspapers, not even fads or trends, but were emblematic of much broader cultural currents. The American Romanticism and Transcendentalism movements were at full bore, rejecting the corruption of modern society and yearning for the perceived purity of ancient Eastern cultures of which Egyptian and Tibetan were among the most revered. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, how to get in the paper? How, how did it
2: pass muster? You know, some it's just one person as an editor, so yeah. yes or no.
0: Yeah, some hippie.
1: We got to get readership up, guys. It's first quarter 1909. Oh, uh, papers, uh, they aren't getting bought as much anymore. People are buying them for that dime over in the diner. We got to get more readership. Put that, put that, uh, Grand Canyon story, page one.
2: Yeah, nobody wants to lose out to the tombstone picayune. <laughs> it's their true, main rival. I made that up, uh, but. <laughs> There are people who will tell you that there is a cover-up afoot, uh, particularly a writer known as John Rhodes. Known as John Rhodes because that's his name. Not to be <laughs> cryptic about it. Uh, he claims to know the exact location of the caverns, and the site is guarded today, according to him, by a lone soldier carrying an M-16, and that the caverns are actually a museum for the shadowy cabal that runs civilization. So... Okay. So he's a bit of a fringe writer, shall we say, right? Uh, uh,
1: yeah, uh, just, let's just quickly talk about John Rhodes. Um, if you go to the website, uh, reptoids.com, that is where uh, he does a lot of his writing. Um, it, you know, it's a, it's a person who's doing a lot of research and has an outlet to, to write about it. And has some very interesting ideas. I have not spoken to him, uh, but here's the thing. I have not been able to locate this, any quote that is close to what is being said here because uh, that, that, what Ben just read was from a Gizmodo article. And again, I cannot verify independently that he said anything about shadowy elites and caverns and a lone M16 carrying guy that guards it. But wow, that's a cool idea.
2: And uh weren't you telling me earlier that David Ike has a connection with this?
1: Yeah, the the book that you put on our Instagram, Ben, uh The Biggest Secret, the nineteen ninety nine, I think, mm-hmm. uh I guess book that was written uh by Mr. Ike, it connects the Grand Canyon Discovery, specifically this one, uh the Kincaid Discovery, with the reptilian overlords, like we were talking in the beginning, like perhaps this is where they started or one of the places where they landed or one of the places where they arose from.
2: Yeah. And you can see this, um, the connective tissue of these various fringe theories stretching out, right? Mm -hmm. In either direction. And with that, we do have to say that at this point, it does not seem as though there is some sort of, non-Native American lost civilization in the Grand Canyon.
1: Unless it is being so well covered up and protected
0: that we just don't know about it.
1: But why? Maybe it's like a place to worship. The the lower ones.
0: My favorite tidbit in all of this is the idea of the Grand Canyon being this uh, gateway to the underworld. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I mean, that fascinates me and captivates me more than the hidden civilization stuff.
2: Hmm personally, I'm really into this idea of a shadow museum, like a top secret yeah. evil museum. I want to go. I mean, I guess if there's not one like that already, I'll just eventually build one. <laughs> right? Yeah. Someone should. So we do know that um the odds are Right now that there isn't some sort of lost civilization, at least in the Grand Canyon. However, these rumors, these hoaxes, these beliefs do not come out of thin air. In the modern era, our species has discovered cave dwellings that radically redefine what we thought we knew about the course of humanity. Here I'm thinking specifically of, uh, Gobekli, the, the Turkish cavern system.
1: Yes. Oh man, that really, uh, changed things there there like you said Ben there've been numerous versions of this even if you look at some of the cave paintings that we've discovered over the years you discover you realize that humans have been around for much longer in places that we didn't think they existed at the time
2: right and for in the case of gobekli tepe uh it wasn't even excavated until starting in the 1990s mm mm-hmm. And people were there from the 10th to 8th millennium BCE. So there are still things out there in the ground waiting to be found. And we've talked before about the technology that is aiding in the search. And we also talked just a little bit about – this is a wild theory, but it's completely plausible – about how some countries don't want old sites to be found because then they're responsible for preserving them. Reconstructing them, guarding them, yeah, and it's a huge
0: drain. Could be a drag, even like uh, those UNESCO In- heritage sites and things like that. That can be um, prohibitively expensive for places that don't have a whole heck of a lot of money.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you're talking about an NGO or a nonprofit or something, you're going to spend tax dollars on that.
2: And also, the majority of the time that someone rediscovers an ancient site. Uh, they, they've they put a lot of work in, and I'm not dinging the people who've done this work, but the majority of the time, what we see is that native populations or people who've lived in the area for a long time are already somewhat aware of something. Yeah. You know, uh, so we know that in our lifetimes, in probably the next few years, there are going to be more discoveries. We don't know exactly what or where they will be, but we do have questions for
1: you. Do you think there's any kind of significant undiscovered ruins or structures that exist deep in the Grand Canyon somewhere? Maybe in the middle of the canyon, about half a mile down, there's a cave entrance that's extremely hard to get to. Do you think that exists? Write to us.
2: And where in the U.S. have you heard of of other alleged sites of lost civilizations? Speaking of you, that reminds us, it's time for... Shout corner.
1: Our first shout-out comes from Kathy. Kathy says... How about looking into what is being labeled the Bama boom? It is occurring in other locations as well. The ones located around Alabama are just getting some of the best coverage. Thanks. And this is another one of those things where it's a mysterious sound. Mm -hmm. In this case, it is literally a boom and you can find a Fox news article that discusses this mysterious boom that jolted part of the state. And apparently it's happened more than once. Um, In this case, evidence pointed to a sonic boom from either an aircraft that was flying overhead or oh. uh, a meteor, uh, some kind of explosion in the air.
0: Also a delicious fruit-flavored malt beverage.
2: Yeah, bam-a-boom. Let's, uh, let's look into this. Thank you for writing, Kathy. Uh, we also have a message from Narasim, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, who says, FYI, headrests in your car are made to have pointed tips to break windows in case you're stuck or submerged with windows closed. And then he followed up.
0: Yeah, he followed up saying, uh, looks like that was an internet myth. Sorry for the misinformation fell into the conspiracy myself, but I saw this. And I mean, they are the little kind of pointy parts that go into mm-hmm. the seat where you can pull the headrest off. The ends of them are shaped very similarly to the kind of tool you would use to break a window. So whether or not it's intentional, I certainly think you could use that to break a
1: window. Possibly. I think the problem is when you are trying to hold that headrest and then hit the the window I think maybe there's a problem there and there are two so you're dec- you're like having the amount of impact you'd want
0: the focus to be on a single yeah. point with one of those little hammers yeah. or whatever yeah there's
2: also a cool trick that you well you'd probably never do it but it's possible to break a window just using the resonance of a soft touch in a pattern or singing a particularly high note right which is far out of my range <laughs> uh, we have one more shout out
0: this one comes from Lena on Twitter uh, tweets at us if you dudes are ready to start an adult Triple X Space Camp. I'm in, and I probably know other Triple X ladies who are super interested as well. What does Triple X stand
1: for? Oh, don't be oh come Matthew. on. Is it <laughs> Well, is it like the alcohol thing? Yeah, with, it's,
0: it's, it's, it's on my Alabama can of Bama boom. Oh, and the, the, the yeah, a, yeah.
2: The X does. We talked about this in an interview with yeah. Lucky Yates. The X does indicate the number of times something has been distilled.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. It's
2: super potent or
1: something. So a, I guess, just highly refined. Lena's talking about a highly refined space camp. For adults. Okay, that's cool. I'm done with that.
2: And thank you, Lena, Narasim, and Kathy. This concludes our... But not our show. Noel, Matt, Super Producer, Paul, and I will be back very soon. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. That's the other one.
0: Yep, Facebook. We're conspiracy stuff on all of those, but Instagram, at which we are conspiracy stuff show. Yeah, and if
1: you don't want to do any of that stuff, you don't want to find us on social media, you don't care what we look like, you can just send
0: us an email. We are Conspiracy at com. Live Nation presents Concert Week.
1: From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over five thousand summer shows.
2: That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage. Alanis Morissette. Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainor, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, some forty one, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May
0: 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just twenty. $25 each. Visit livestation.com/concertweek to buy now. That's livestation.com/concertweek to buy now.
3: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
0: partner in unraveling the mysteries
2: of true crime not available in idaho iowa or south dakota dealing with pests can be a pain but relax terminix can help because when pests show up so does terminix
1: with over 95 years of experience they have what it takes to take on any pest problem
0: fast
2: if your home or business has pests, don't
0: stress it terminix it Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T E R M I N I X.com.